Uh, would you join me in Luke chapter 1 this morning? Luke chapter 1. As I was singing that last song, I was standing there thinking, I feel that the Lord is allowing some things to happen in our world uh, that is preparing us to really get to the point where we are going to want the Lord to come back. Uh, I think we, even as Christians, we tend to get a little bit comfortable in the status quo when the Lord is disrupting that. And believe me, when he comes, um, there will be longing hearts. And there were longing hearts in the day when he came the first time. Luke chapter 1. So uh, here's a kind of introduction. Today is going to be a difference. It's going to be different than, than any of the Christmas messages I've preached. And I thought about it. I've preached quite a few Christmas messages in the last seven and a half years. So this is my eighth Christmas here. Um, and so if I introduce it this way, we preach expositionally here, Right. Uh, we're going through, we're always going through a book of the Bible. When I'm preaching, I'm going through a book of the Bible. Uh, this is what, our third, Acts is our third book of the Bible in seven years. We're on a really fast pace. And so uh, we're in chapter 11, right, normally. Um, and guys, those of you that are here, most of you are here each week and each month. And you know we do not break that pattern. I don't break that pattern. I know going into the year, for the most part, where I'm going to be preaching. And I like that. Um, there are three times in the course of the year that I break that, that I knowingly would break that. One is at Easter, and the other two have to do with Christmas. And the two Christmases, the one of them is on this occasion when we have extended singing, and the other is always the Sunday right before Christmas. So next, Christmas, next week should be, Lord willing, I'm assuming another Christmas message, and then we will, Lord willing, after that, get back into the book of Acts. Said all that to say this. When I preach... Uh, at Christmas, that presents some challenges because I always like, okay, the first question is, where? Like, where am I going to preach? So that's always a bit of a challenge. And what I have noticed about me, and it's just a confession, I am so insistent that if anyone, especially I think about visitors, if a visitor were to come to Graceview, I want them to know, because what's going on out in our society, I want them to know that when they leave Graceview, that we're going to make it clear, Jesus is the focus of Christmas. We're going to keep, man, we're going to keep the focus on Christ, and, and that's exactly where it should be, and that's where it will always be, right? So this is my 15th message, but as I thought about my pattern, my Christmas messages, because of that mindset, and I end up focusing almost always on the theological side of things. And my messages can get very similar year to year. And by having that focus, and please listen, I'm saying that is the right focus. But by having that, I can end up passing over other good opportunities of things that are around the Christmas story. And this year I'm doing something di different. This is, again, the 15th Christmas message, and I'm going to do something I've not done. I've had points within other messages along this line, but never really a, a, an entire sermon with this kind of a focus. And you see the title. Um, this message is going to be about Mary. Uh, so as your Luke chapter 1, this is a very well-known passage about Christmas. Um, and I just realized, Jeff, if you stay on that pattern, you're never going to bring out any of the good qualities about the shepherds, the angels that we heard read about a while ago, Anna and Simeon, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth. I mean, the list goes even lessons. 
from Herod, and I know that the, the three, not the three, but the magi, the wise men, those separated from this scene, are still kind of connected in their lessons from that. Jeff, if you only always spend both of your Christmas messages with this, going always in the theological side of Christ and the Son of God and His humanity, then you may be passing over some other good opportunities. And so I figured after seven years I could give myself permission to break my habit. And so I'm going to do that this morning. But even there, Yes, there are things to learn about Joseph, but if we were to say, humanly speaking, which person besides the Lord Jesus is so prominent in this story, and it obviously is Mary. She's the second most prominent one in the whole story. And this is where I've also had a, a, a caution. Y'all are aware there's a lot of heresy that is preached and taught about Mary, right? Y'all are aware of that? I'm not going to say the Catholics by name, but... You kind of know there's a lot of it out there. Um, and if you're not, I'm, I'm, some people you know, your family members, maybe you, maybe you watching this right now, uh, and I'm calling it heresy. Of all the people in the Bible, she probably has as much heretical teaching about her as anybody else in Scripture. Um, and it's horrible, and I hate it. And that's probably one of the reasons I have avoided a message such as this. Are you aware of some of the things that have been said about her? I'm going to give you five. Not one. Give you five. This is really, these have been taught. Number one, it's been taught about her that she has no original sin. I don't know why people would teach that. I guess their thought is, well, for Jesus to be who he is, then we've got to make her like sinless. And, you know, for him to, why are you doing, then if she's sinless, then what about her parents? Where, where, does, it, where does it stop? How far back are you going to go? The Bible says nothing of that. One that particularly irks me that has been said, and by the way, it comes out of this passage. She's called Mary, the mother of God. Mary, the, Is Mary the mother of God? Does God have a mother? I realize, I'm going to read in a moment, that Elizabeth looks at Mary and calls Mary the mother of her Lord. And Mary is the mother of her Lord, and the Lord is God. But Elizabeth's saying, you're the mother of this baby who is the Lord She's the mother of the Lord Jesus, the man. She's not the mother of God. And that uh, irritates like, uh. And I kind of end up like, I'm, I'm not even going to preach about her because people get the wrong idea. Another one is she's, for some reason, still called by many the Virgin Mary. Yes, we're looking at the Virgin Mary this morning in chapter 1. But the New Testament makes it very clear. This woman had at least seven children with her and Joseph. Other children, biologically. She's not still the Virgin Mary. The fourth thing that has been taught, and by the way, all around the world, all around the world, many, many Christians, many, many people who would call themselves Christians have been taught, and they will do this today. Number four, they will try to pray to God through Mary. It's ridiculous. The Bible is very clear. There is one mediator between God and man. I'm not your mediator. I'm not your priest. Nor is anyone across town or up in Greenville or any big city or in, in, in Italy. There is no person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man. And that person is not Mary. You don't go, Father, in the name of Mary. Mary, would you go ask God? We don't do that. Some even go further than that. And they not only try to pray to God through Mary. They pray to Mary. Because she's supposed to be full of grace, as if she has these graces. And she bestows grace upon people that pray to her. And that's ridiculous. That's heresy. And, of course, the last one that I'd never really heard of until a few years ago, and 
Apparently, this is a real thing. Some refer to her as, a, as literally a co-redemptress. A co-redemptrix. In other words, she has a part in saving us. We are saved by Christ and Mary. And like, I, I get so irritated those things that it makes me want to avoid. But I realize, Jeff, if you do that, you're passing over what the Bible does and you're passing over good opportunities. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to read a passage. I'll go ahead and tell you it's like 24 verses. So it is a lengthy passage. So listen, we're going to read it. I'm not preaching the passage. I'm going to preach one aspect of the passage. We maybe, I'm not saying, I'm not pinning myself down. We might end up back in these, this passage next week, possibly, focusing on Christ. But this morning, of these three main areas, uh, you have a little outline we'll give you in a moment. But of these three areas, we're going to focus particularly on the third section that has particularly to do with Mary. And so if you would, join me, Luke chapter 1. Let's read our text. And beginning at verse 26, going all the way down through verse 49. And I admit, verse 49 is in the middle of a section uh, called the Magnificat. And this is Mary's magnification of the Lord, her heart and her desire. And I'm going to cut it off in the middle of that, verse 49, because that's, that's all we need for this morning. Would you look at verse 26? You got your Bible open? Ask the Lord to speak to you. We only get to do this once today. We get to do this one time. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you want me to learn. Verse number 26, the Bible says in the sixth month. Sixth month what? This is the sixth month. We're jumping in the middle of a story. An angel is going to be brought in here. And this angel has already met the, the, the father of John the Baptist in the temple. And so this is actually the sixth month of John the Baptist's conception. So he's six months old in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and so that's going on. Elizabeth has been hiding. She's pregnant with this one that we know is going to be John the Baptist, but she's not gone public and not made that known. And now we're jumping in the middle of that. She's six months pregnant when this takes place. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Second time in this chapter, he's been sent on an errand from God. Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, northern Israel, named Nazareth. A little nothing out of the way. Looked down upon city named Nazareth. To a virgin. This is a pure young lady. Never had sex in her life. But she's betrothed. Gabriel is sent to Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. That little phrase of the house of David, it's a little confusing. Does that mean that Joseph is of the house of David or that Mary is of the house of David? Real quickly, I'll throw it in. Obviously, we know from two genealogies, David is of, uh, uh, Joseph is of the house of David. And we know that Mary would be of the house of David. Though I don't know that she's on both sides of her parents. Or both sides of her parents uh, from the tribe of Judah. I don't know that because we're going to find out she's in some way related to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is from the tribe of Levi. And so it is perhaps some have surmised that maybe Mary's mother was Levi and her father was of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 27 again. Gabriel is sent to a virgin, betrothed. In other words, Joseph and Mary at this point are married. They are married. There's been a ceremony. They have taken oaths and vows. They've just not consummated that. They're in a one-year waiting period. There's a one, and apparently they're at the beginning of the waiting period. Again, I'm giving you a lot. You'd have to research it out. They're at the beginning of the waiting period. And what's happening is this one-year waiting period is to prove that the bride is faithful, that she's sexually pure, that she's not, not, not like going to get married and find out, whoa, she's 
expecting from someone else because I didn't do it. Okay, they're in that one-year waiting period. Here comes Gabriel with an announcement to this young lady who's betrothed, already married. It would take a divorce to separate them at this point. And the virgin's name was Mary. So here comes Gabriel. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, and I really start focusing on verse 26, 28. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. So picture it. Somewhere in Nazareth, there's this girl living life. And here comes this angel. Not just any angel. Gabriel, one of the archangels, who literally earlier says, tells Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. I'm one of the ones who stand. Like, there's a lot of angels, and they do a lot of things. This one, he's big time. He came to her, and he says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. This disturbs her, agitates her. She's troubled at what, again, reading why would a being like that say that to me? She's troubled at this saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why is he saying that to me? And the angel said to her, I'm going to read between the lines again. Let's read the text. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And I'm imagining it's almost like, well, I'm not afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Like, why would he say that? Because angels like, always have to tell people that. Be not afraid. Nothing in the text says she's afraid. She's troubled. She's agitated. Like, what does this mean? And the angel said to her, verse 30, do not be afraid. Mary, Mary, you know my name. Oh, I know your name. I know a lot more about you than you think. I know things you don't know. There's a lot coming in the next few verses, and we'll not have time to get into it. Let's just read through it. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, so here's the favor. You will conceive in your womb. Picture this scene. Here's this girl minding her own business. Here this angel comes and says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. You don't get to name your firstborn son. God's already named your son. You can name the other ones. Your firstborn's going to be named. You're going to call his name Jesus. He will be great. You're going to have a son. You're going to conceive. You're going to have a child. It's going to be a boy. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He shall be great. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. Your son's going to be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him, your son, the throne of his father David. And he, your son, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Wow. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, why would he say that? Don't be afraid. I'm not. Don't be afraid. The Lord has favored you. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be great. God's going to give him his, the throne of his father David. He's going to be known as the son of the most high. He's going to rule and reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Verse number 34. And Mary said to the angel, how? 
How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered. Again, I'm reading between the lines. Okay, that's a good question. That's a legitimate question. How's this going to be? And the angel answered her. You ought to focus on verse 35. The angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And there it is. That's it. Okay? How? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of that, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative, talking to Mary, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In other words, what's that? what Gabriel's saying is, you didn't ask for a sign, but I'm going to give you one so you will know exactly. In other words, Gabriel is kind of pushing her, encouraging her. You ought to go see Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. She's not told anybody. You haven't heard about it. Oh, but it's a thing. She's six months pregnant. Why does this matter? Verse 37. Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, okay. How is this going to happen? This is going to the Holy Spirit. Power of the Almighty is going to hover over you. You're going to be in that. And that's going to result in this child. And oh, by the way... God's moving in a powerful way. And just to show you, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, though barren before, she's now actually six months pregnant. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, look you, look you, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's a little time gap, don't know how long, but between verse 38 and 39, watch, here we go. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. We don't know the town, but she went to a town of Judah. So she heads down south from Galilee, going down probably with something past Jerusalem, into this hill area around Jerusalem, to some unknown town. She knows where she's going because she knows where Elizabeth and Zechariah live. And she goes, verse 40. And there's a little, again, I've read this over and over, and I can't tell you the nuances. I don't know if this literally happens at the door or I, there is a scenario, I imagine, where she actually comes inside the house. Look at verse 40. Mary goes to the house, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Is it this simple? Hello. Greetings, Elizabeth. And then something happens? Or is it, hello? Elizabeth? You say, was it because of what happens in verse 41? She enters the house of Zechariah, greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So Elizabeth has six-month-old John, and he starts going nuts. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And second thing happens, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows up, John starts leaping, Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and we know when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, it affects our speech, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Elizabeth, blessed are you among women. In other words, get all the women, and you in the middle of all the women, you are blessed. 
I want to kind of tell you, the word blessed in verse 42 is different from the word blessed in verse 45. It literally means to be praised. You among all the women, you are to be praised. Like, what? There is a right thing that is a balance to today's text. And then there's the wrong heretical approach that other people have taken. We want to find the right line and we want to be honest with the text. Full of the Spirit, verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth has told no one about what's going on in her. Mary shows up. There is no way possible she could know what's going on because there's literally just a few days old embryo of Jesus inside of Mary. And yet Elizabeth knows. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You're blessed because you believed it when you heard it. How did you know what's happened? There's no possible way. I just now. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Not discounting all that you've just said. Watch her reaction. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant and behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I'm not saying we're going to preach here next week, but if we were, we might would use the following outline. Would you write this down? Number one, there's an astonishing announcement by Gabriel in verses 26 to 37. An astonishing announcement. We saw it. We read it. Wow. This is going to happen. He's going to be great. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. This is how it's going to happen. Secondly, would you notice in verses 39 to 45, we saw the scene that we just read. There's an expression of great joy from Elizabeth being full of the Holy Spirit. So she expresses this great, wonderful joy at the presence of the Lord Jesus and his mother Mary in her house. And those are two very real things, and that kind of takes up the majority of our text. But if you'll notice, the third thing, and this is where I want us to focus our attention this morning is in all of that, there's a godly response by Mary. I want to eventually, it's going to take me a minute, so we're going to spend the majority of our time. I want us to notice in a few minutes four things about Mary and this godly, four great truths and important truths about Mary. But before we do that, I am going to make three pit stops, right? You know I can't, like, just totally skip over the text, right? So we're going to be bouncing around in the main part of the message, pulling like here and here, and we're looking at what is Mary's reaction to all of this because there's some really good things that we need to be challenged by. But as we're going, we got our train heading that way. We need to make three quick depot stops on the way. Would you notice number one in verse 35? Would you just go back there just for a moment? Let's just plant the thought. How will this be? Look at verse 35 with your eyes. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How is this going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. 
the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Now you probably, you should be thinking right there, Jeff, what does that mean? To which I would say, I have no clue what that means. I am not even going to attempt to tell you what that means. It would be wrong for me to try to start describing what that means. I even hesitate. Is it blasphemous for me to even say the next sentence? But I'll go ahead and say it. What's described here is not sexual. How's this going to happen? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does that mean? I don't know. All we can do is take it at face value. That's what happened. But boy, this is a big deal. This is key. This, the fulfillment of this text is so important. It is so key. It's so sacred. It's kind of, it hit me this week. I don't maybe you've already thought of this. I had it. It's really in a category of two other things that are so sacred, so mysterious, the Bible really doesn't even explain them. Here, all we have is a pronouncement of what's going to happen. Over in Matthew, we have a discussion with this angel with with Joseph after the fact that it's happened. But do you realize, kind of like the crucifixion of Christ, the Bible in the epistles, in the theological section, tells us the significance of Jesus' death. But when you get to the Gospels and the actual doing of it, what does it say? And they crucified him. Like almost every Gospel. They get us there and like, and tell us about it. And they crucified him. That's it, like four words. I remember, they hit me when going through Matthew. Like, that's it? It doesn't tell us, and then God made him to become sin, and then God did this, and it was substitutionary and sin-bearing, and all like, nope, in the Gospels, and they crucified him, and he died. And yeah, we take these clues, it got really dark, and there was these thunder and earthquakes, and like, we kind of make this time frame with the theology, but it, itself is so sacred, the Bible doesn't even say the exact moment. It's like this, the other is the resurrection. When was Christ resurrected? The Bible doesn't say. All we know is it's somewhere before daybreak on Sunday morning. Nowhere in the text does the Bible say. And in the night, Jesus' spirit came back into him and he opened his eyes and he just flowed right through the linen garden. It doesn't say that. It's just the tomb's empty. When did this happen? I don't know. Jeff, did she go into a sleep? I don't know. Was she in a trance? Did it happen while she slept? Did she even know when it happened? No, I don't know. All we have is what we have. If you're taking notes, write this thought down. The fulfillment of this, I know this much, it happens between verse 38 and 39. And when that happened, the fulfillment of verse number 35, coupled with the death and the resurrection of Christ, are so key. Watch me. Look, look first. Those three things... The fulfillment of verse 35, when it happened, with Jesus' death and resurrection, they are so important. What we have is eternity past. It just goes and goes and goes endlessly. And eternity future, endlessly. And then we have this thing called history, human history. These events, verse 35, with the death and the resurrection of Christ are so key that we divide, however long history ends up being, we divide it from those three things. We have before Christ, and then we have after Christ. And then when we look at eternity, literally there's eternity past, never stops that way. Eternity future never stops that way. But it is divided by this event. Verse number 35 is key. This is massive. What happened? I don't know. 
A baby was conceived in a woman that qualifies being called the son of the most high God. Second pit stop is down in verse number 41. Would you notice it? Being kind of prodded and hinted at, Mary makes haste and gets down to Elizabeth's house. Somewhere, either at the door or making her way into the house. Hello? Greetings, Elizabeth. In verse number 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Y'all have heard us talk before about Harley the dog, right? Harley the dog. Harley the dog is half, he's, he's a puggle. Puggle, what in the world? It's weird, I know. It's what Deanna wanted for her 40th birthday, so that's what she got. He's half pug and half beagle. And if you were to go to our living room, which some of you have been in there, probably the most dominant thing in the living room is these, this big glass, these two glass frames, and one of them is a sliding door. It's the most prominent thing, and it looks right. We don't have a curtain over it. It's just always there. We have some other furniture, and there's a TV. But the dominant thing is that, especially when he was younger, if you let a rabbit, remember, he's half beagle. If you let a rabbit come into Harley the dog's yard, his backyard that's fenced in, Hair right here on his back would immediately go up. I mean, that rabbit had this guy's full, he would have his foot. Now he's a little older. I've actually seen him looking like. But he's still every now and then, and he'll start at the, at the, at the, at the glass. And it's as though if you could read that little dog's mind, especially when he was younger, like he would start barking. And I'm like, rabbit, get out of here, you dumb little thing. And I'll open the thing so that you can hear him barking. He is highly interested in it. It's as though Harley is saying, he's right there. Let me out. He's right there. I got to go. Like, we're like, no, hang on, Harley. You gotta, I'm trying to give the rabbit a head start. Thankfully, he's never killed one. I've seen him go round and round a couple of times, and they have their little spots. Of... See, what's your point? You already know the point. I looked up yesterday because I don't know a lot about biology, but they tell us that preborn babies... They get their eyes around the six-month mark. And that's what we're looking at. So in my mind, I'm picturing this. Hello? Elizabeth? And little oversized head, alligator-armed, tiny-legged John the Baptist, pre-born, six months from conception, still three months from being born. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's jumping like, what in the? When you, he's jumping and leaping like, like Harley the dog, like, he's right there. Do you not see this? And like, what in the world? This is an amazing moment. Preborn, six months from conception, three months still from being actually born, John the Baptist begins his fulfilling his role as the one who's appointed to announce the coming of the Messiah. He's here. That's him. He's right there. Notice, he's here. Take note. And he begins his God-appointed role. There's the Christ. There's the Son of God. There is the Lamb of God. And then the third little pit stop is right in that same section. It's at Elizabeth's house. As you're writing that note, would you notice the second thing? Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, 
Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her from the Lord. I used to read that, uh, not a lot, but a few years ago I, I read that. And I remember thinking, is this like the first example of Mary worship? And I can very confidently say this is not inappropriate Mary worship. So how do you know? What's the clue? How do we know? You say, man, she's laying it on pretty thick. Tell me, how do we know this is not inappropriate Mary worship? Nobody? Because what? Because the Bible is clear that Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit. What she is saying is accurate and the right thing to say. This is not inappropriate. But here's what I want you to understand, because we're getting ready to get to these things about Mary. We're going to spend just a few moments on each one of those, but I want you to get this about Elizabeth. This is an amazing thing. Here Elizabeth gets full of the Holy Spirit. Here she, you got to get this, here she is in her own right, highly favored. Elizabeth has been highly favored. Because in her womb is the forerunner to the Messiah. She's got John the Baptist in her belly. Do you understand John the Baptist, you say, yeah, wow, he's a great prophet. No, no, no. John the Baptist is not just a great prophet. He's such a great prophet that other Old Testament prophets prophesied about him. Didn't happen with all the other ones. This is a great man inside of her. So much so that Jesus himself says of all people who were born in the Old Testament, born of women, none are greater than this woman is so honored. She's carrying like the one that none of the rest are greater than her son. And yet, write it down, being full of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth realizes that the honor and the child that are Mary's, Mary's honor and Mary's child is even greater, far greater than my honor and my child. What mother admits this? All of you know full well your son, your daughter is the greatest, right? All of you know that. My wife sure does. She texts about it quite frequently. Texted about it just Friday. They're the greatest. Just ask her. You're like, no, no, no. My, What woman will admit your honor is great and your honor is greater than mine? Mine is great. My child is great. Your child is greater than mine. So much so that the normal cultural dynamic where the younger honors the older is here reversed. And the older aged lady is bestowing great blessing and honor upon the young girl, Mary. And so now would you notice with me really what we wanted to get to. We had these three quick stops. Now, I want you to notice four things, if you would, about Mary that stand out to me. As I read this this week, it was like, wow, I need to be more like Mary. Would you notice number one, from verse number 29, and I'm going to admit this one. You may be like, Jeff, I don't really see the big deal there. This may be just me. I may be the only one in the room. But one thing that stood out to me was Mary displayed a very deep, settled security. Would you write that down? She has a deep, settled security. This girl, this is an amazing girl. She just has a deep, settled security about her. You're like, what does that mean? Where do you see that in the text? Look back at verse number 29. Verse 28, here comes the angel Gabriel, and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. 
Y'all help me out. What's the almost universal response of angels with human beings throughout the Bible? When human beings encounter angels, what almost always happens with human beings? They become what? Afraid. Fearful, terrified. If you were to go back and look at this same chapter, go back to verse number 12. Here's what happens. There's this man, Zechariah. It's his turn. To, he's a priest. It's his turn to serve in the temple. He actually gets a lot that falls upon him. Not only is he going to serve in the temple, he actually gets to go into the holy place, and he's going to refresh the altar of incense. So here he goes in. Over to his left is, is the golden candlestick, and over there's the table of showbread, and over there's the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. Here is, here is the altar of incense, and he's refreshing the altar of incense so that smoke would go up in front of this curtain separating the holy of holies from the holy place. But over to the right, all of a sudden, I don't know how long he was there. Did he walk in there? Or did he just kind of appear? All of a sudden, there's Gabriel, and it scares him to death. That's very normal. That's a normal reaction. He's terrified. He's afraid. But here's this girl, and when Gabriel approaches her, it's not, lit. it's not the sight of Gabriel that disturbs her or frightens her. It's the unusual words that he says. Do you not see this guy? I see him. Are you not terrified? No, I can't get past what he said. This, this just girl. Something she's just knows that she's fine. She's just secure. Write it down. She finds herself in an extremely startling, can I say, stressful situation. And yet she has such deep, settled security, she becomes discerning. Not overwhelmed. She's discerning. She's thinking. She's trying to figure it out. She's not panicking like most people would. As you're writing that, I want to ask you. How do you, like really think about it. How do you respond when you catch yourself in like really unusual circumstances, startling circumstances, can I word it this way? How do you, I want you to really go here with me for a moment. How do you respond when you find yourself in highly stressful, out of your norm circumstances? How do you respond? Do you know what a lot of us would have to say in the room? You'd be like, being honest, I give in to the stress. I get filled with anxiety. Most weeks have something that stress us out, right? At least tries. I had three things. I'll not go into the mall. I had three just this week. You're like, really? Yeah, I had three. I'll share the one. Um, and some of you say, yeah, that's all the time. Right? Here's the first one. Main one. I was really behind on my sermon preparation this week. You're like, yeah, Jeff, every time I see you, you're always behind. If I see you on Monday night, you're behind. If I see you on Wednesday night, yeah, how you doing? Pretty good. Run a little behind. You're like, yeah, Jeff, no. No, guys, for real. For real this time. Like more than normal. Uh, it was really bad. It was so bad, thankfully, Connie um, offered to kind of just come in on Saturday and just not come in Friday. I'll come in on Saturday and make screens. And it's like, thank you so much, because had she not done that, I literally would have been here through the night till probably 7, 8 o'clock Friday morning. Uh, all Thursday night I would have been here, but instead I got to work on, on Friday and she came in. There's reasons why. Um, just, again, there was a lot that I had to put off and we had to get to this week and like, I know this needs dealt with, and the whole time in my week, this is my world, uh, getting ready to preach and to teach is like always a mountain in my landscape. It is always there, and days are going by, hours are going by, and I'm like talking with the Lord, and like, okay, Lord, 
I know this has to happen. I know we've got to get this done. But, uh, and I, me, I bounce between two things. This week I bounce between a relative calmness for a little bit at a time. And then other times I gave in to my usual getting filled with anxiety. Which often leads to irritability. I know none of you have any of that. Y'all are way better than that. I'm just being honest with you. Like, you say, where did the calmness come from? Because I'm making this a matter of prayer, and I just sense the Lord like, I'm going to give you something to preach. But Lord, it's Christmas, and it like I know where. Like, where are we going? What am I supposed Are you sure? Like, days are getting by, and it's like, it's not happening. And it's like, I'm going to give you something. And apparently it's 1126 already, and he has done something. He's given me something to say. I don't know if you get anything from it, but I got something from it this week. And it was like, sometimes calmness and trusting, and in other times, my usual giving in to the anxiety. How do you respond? One of the other things we had this week was the budget. And I caught myself Monday, Lord, I care about this. This is a big thing. Lord, it is my responsibility. I am, I should care. Lord, I am one of the caretakers of the, it comes with this position. But I literally was in my office and I was like, Lord, would you remove from me this old mindset that I've grown up under of this senior pastor mentality and Lord, break that down so that I'll start thinking more and more biblically of this plurality of leadership, plurality of elders and deacons, and people who are gifted, and Lord, show me that I have a part in this, but it's not all on me, and even when we bring these other people in, it is not, Lord, show me and remind me, ultimately, this is your church. It's not our church. This is not my budget. It's not my responsibility. I can't make people give all our job. Lord, what do you want our budget to look like for next year? And I bounce between calmness and anxiety. I'm so glad you are much better than that. Be like Mary. Don't be like your preacher. This girl, just calm, settled, secure. Those of you who went on our mission trip recently, how did you handle the stress and the unusual nature and the easy opportunities to be overwhelmed? This girl, what a great example. Number two. Number two. Mary was highly favored. This is obvious from the text. There are four places within the text that, get this, let this sink in. God's anointed messengers. God's specifically anointed messengers four times, at least four times in the text. Make it very clear. This woman is favored, highly favored, blessed, blessed. Two different ideas of blessed there. The latter one is this idea of like fortunate. You look again, if you would. Look at verse number 28. Watch it. Here we go. And he, Gabriel, came to her. Gabriel, literally coming from God with this message, says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse number 30, Gabriel again. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse number 42, here comes Elizabeth. She exclaimed, exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you. You are blessed among women. Verse number 45. And blessed is she who believed. Favored. Favored. Blessed. Blessed. This woman's Blessed. She is the mother of the Christ. 
the Son of God, become the God-man. She's his mother. But what I want to take just a moment, think about the ramifications of that. Have you thought about that? Think about that. You're like, oh, well, this is a great one. Yeah, she's blessed. It's very clear. Highly favored from God. But what did that mean for her? Write down three things. Her favoring from God and her blessing from God for her really meant many things, but I've picked three. Would you write these down? Number one, her favor and blessing mean that, meant that her and Joseph and Jesus and his siblings would live as poor people. They were poor. Scripture's clear. I mean, the day Jesus died, hey, he's going to die here in a few hours. It's time to divide out everything the man owns. What does he own? What did he own? Y'all tell me. He owned what? What did he own? The clothes on him. And so they divide the clothes. What else? What are we going to do with all of his other possessions? That's it. The man literally has. The God man has what he's wearing. But I thought she was highly favored and blessed. I thought she has the blessing of God on her. She lived as a poor person. And we need to understand, just because someone is poor does not mean they're not favored by God. Secondly, what does it mean? Her particular being favored and blessed by God meant that she and Joseph were going to live under wrongful suspicion of fornication. Oh, you are highly favored. You are really blessed. People are going to say nasty things about you because you're so favored and blessed. And I realize that we live in America in 2023, and we live in a time period where fornication is expected. It's expected in our high schools. It's expected on our job sites and our colleges. It's expected in our middle schools. But in this day, this girl kept herself pure, and here comes the favor of God and what it means. People are going to assume that Joseph and I had sex before we finalized our betrothal. And, of course, the big one. She's so blessed, favored, that she ends up seeing her son, the one she loved, with all her ladies. She watches her son, who she loves with all of her heart, having just been scourged by expert soldiers in the Roman army, literally looking like a bloody piece of meat, carrying a cross through the streets of Jerusalem as the crowds mock and jeer at him. And he will take that cross and he'll go to a place of crucifixion and she will be there close enough to where he can talk with her and she will see her son hanging naked on a cross for six hours until he dies. There's your blessing. I thought this woman was blessed and favored. She's got to live this life? Yeah, it's, it's not always. There's a lesson for us. Grace, I want you to listen to me this morning. There's another heresy that's being taught and preached all around our country. I'm not saying all big churches. I'm saying a lot of the big churches are having a heretical teaching this morning. And it goes something like this. If you'll trust God and live right for, with God, then you're going to have like abnormal health. You're going to have abundant wealth and you're going to have great relationships. Because God wants you to live your best life right now. If you're right with God, man, you're going to have the favor and the blessing. And here's how it's going to show up again. Relationships and money and health. And If you're sick, what did you do wrong? What did you do? Did you commit some great sin? These are lies. Look at the great blessing of God. Write it down. How does the word of God define blessing? Not by that. The word of God, the Bible defines blessing in two terms, two primary ways. How much glory does God get from that life? And the eternal good for the person. That's what the Bible focuses on. 
If you're a Christian this morning, I don't have time to hit this thought. You are highly favored. You ought to let that sink in. So, yeah, this girl, boy, she really is favored. It came out in some odd ways. I will promise you this. There are angels in this room, and if they were allowed to talk to all the Christians, they would know immediately who has the Holy Spirit in them and who doesn't. If they were allowed to talk to us, I'll guarantee you what they'd say. Greetings. Favored one. Favored one. Do you know what I'm going through? You don't know what, what's coming for you. I've seen it. I've seen him. You are highly favored. Number three. Would you notice that third thing about Mary is that she had great faith. This girl possessed tremendous faith. I mentioned earlier, this is the second errand from Gabriel. Gabriel comes earlier in the chapter and he comes to Zechariah and he tells him, you're going to have a son. And your son, by the way, your son's going to be great and you don't get to name your son either. Your son, you're going to name him John. He's going to be great. He's going to do this, that, and the other. He's going to draw the nation toward God and he's going to turn hearts, fathers' hearts toward their children. He's going to be great. He's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah upon him. All these wonderful things. But listen to me. There's a big difference in how Zechariah heard the promises of God and how Mary heard the promises of God. If you go study it out, when Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son, good news, you ought to go look it up. It's back in verse number 18. You know what Zechariah says? How shall I know? Hey, Zechariah, good news. Whoa, you're scaring me to death. No, 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 don't be afraid. I've got good news. Here's what God's going to do. How will I know that's going to happen? But you just asked the wrong question. Gabriel got ticked. It doesn't say Gabriel got ticked in the verse. I'm just telling you Gabriel got ticked. What do you mean, how will you know? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I'm sent to tell you this good news. You're asking me, you're wanting a sign? Okay, I'll give you a sign. What was the sign? You don't get to speak until the baby's born. What? There. There's your sign. How dare you ask, how will you know if what I'm saying is true or not? Would you look at verse number 34? Would you look at it? You say, well, hold on, Jeff. Wait a minute. Isn't Mary's question about the same thing as Zachariah's question? Oh, no, no, no. They're miles apart. Hey, Zachariah, good news. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son. He's going to be great. Okay, but how will I know? Uh. Mary, you're going to have a son in this and this and this and this and this. Verse 34. How will this be? For I am a virgin. Do y'all see the difference there? Hers is not, how do I know you're really telling me? No, hers is, okay. How? Write it down. Wearsby writes the following. He says, Mary believed the promise. But she did not understand the performance. And that's why she asked her question in verse number 34. How will this happen? That's a legitimate question. Because in essence, this is going to happen to her. This is going to happen to her. Like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a child. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be called the son of the most high God. God's going to give him the throne of his father David. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will never be an end. I've never had sex. Joseph and I don't have sex, and we're not going to have sex. We've got quite a while to go in our year of betrothal. 
we're not going to do that. That would be sin. I know you don't want us to do that. So since what you're saying is going to happen, how is it going to happen that's going to result in a child that meets all those descriptions? What's going to happen? Listen, when I go to an amusement park, I know some of you, y'all are so brave. You ride a roller coaster. You're just like, oh, look, oh, there's the one I heard about. Got a new roller coaster. Let's go. I don't do that. I don't do that. I'll ride them, most of them, after I go on the Internet. Has, has how many drops? Has how many barrel rolls? How many loops? How many launches? Does this thing go backwards ever? Does it do the old track? Does this thing make ever spin you around? I need to know these things. What is the highest point of drop? Why? It's going to happen to me. I want to know what's coming. I'm going to scout the thing out. This is a legitimate question. If you were to tell me, God says, Jeff, you're going to Europe. Okay. How am I getting there? Well, you're not going by a plane. Oh, okay. And you're not going by a boat or anything that floats. But you're going to Europe. If I ask how that's going to happen, that doesn't have to mean I don't believe it. That just means I don't understand how I'm going to get there. This girl is a godly example. No matter how wild the promises of God got, she just believed. This is a lot wilder claim than what Zechariah heard. I want you to understand this. I'm almost done with this point, but I don't want you to miss it. Mary had great faith, not in what's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Not what's going to be like extremely difficult. That sounds extremely different. She doesn't have faith in what's going to be like, this is nearly impossible. She doesn't have faith in what's nearly impossible. She has faith. And what had never been done in the history of the world before or since. And this girl's attitude? Okay. How's it going to happen? That's awesome. This girl has great faith. I hope you do not just blow this. Okay, Jeff, we got it. She's got great faith. No, in this room, there are Christians who have lack of faith for a lot less things. In this room, there are Christians who know the promises of God about prayer, but they think God doesn't really hear their prayers. And so they don't pray. In this room, there are Christians who know the biblical pattern is when God blesses me, I should give back to the Lord. I believe a tithe. I believe a tithe predates the law, the Old Testament law. And then we have these things called offerings. Do you understand there are people in this room right now that know that that's God's desire. I should give to the Lord. But in their mind, I just don't know that God will provide for me if I were to. If we were to give, I just don't know that God will provide. Don't blow this girl's faith off if you can't even do that. This is big time. There are people in the room, I know God has given me spiritual gifts according to Romans and Corinthians. I just don't think he really wants to use me to actually edify other people in the body of Christ. And so they don't ever serve. J.C. Ryle writes the following. I'm talking about faith. Ralph says, better a thousand times to be rich in faith than rich in gold. Taste that. He's right. Better a thousand times to be rich in faith than rich in gold. Why? Gold will be worthless in the unseen world to which we are all traveling. Got a lot of gold. It's going to do you no good in the next life. Ralph continues. 
When the great white throne is set and the books are opened, when the dead are called from their graves and receiving their final sentence, the value of faith will at length be fully known. Men will learn then, if they never learned before, how true are the words, blessed are they that believed. That's when you'll know the value of faith. Grace, we want to ask you, individual, I want to ask you, when, you, when you're reading your Bible and you see the promises of God, how do you respond? Are you like, are you like Zachariah? I see what it says. How do I know that would really work for me? How do I know God will really hear my prayers? How do I know that God will really provide for me? How do I know that God will give me victory over sin? How do I know that God would really use me to order your, are you like Mary? Okay. Then God's going to do this. This girl had great faith. And then lastly, let's finish with this point because it's, Really the title of your handout. Mary was God's humble servant. This girl's a great example because she was God's humble servant. The whole text, from the beginning of the 24 verses all the way to the end, listen, it drips with Mary's humility amid great honor. Here's a girl greatly honored and yet just humble, a servant. I mean, she ain't faking it, trying to, I'm going to try to be humble. It's just like, she's humble. She literally sees herself as the servant of God. It really starts right at the beginning. Would you look back at verse number 28? Go back there, look at it quickly. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I hope I'm pronouncing this man's name correctly. Do you, do you feel the humility? I mean, it's literally in the very first reaction, genuine, authentic, unrehearsed. It's just her normal. I forget the man's name, but I remember an author named Barclay writing about a scenario and there was a scene and the room was full, the auditorium was full and unknowns to this one man as the group of people, the higher ups are making their way into their positions when this one person, I forget his name when he walked through the door then everyone stood and began to cheer because the occasion was actually to honor him and so here he comes in this procession of people and as soon as the people stand and cheer his natural reaction was he turned and started cheering for the guy and they're like no, no, it's, it's for you this girl, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but Geldon Hughes writes the following. By her reaction to Gabriel's greeting, she shows that she's modest and sober-minded. She is agitated by the words of the angel because she feels that such a greeting is not suited to her. Greetings, O oh favored one. Now why would he say, I'm no one special. I'm from nowhere special. I have nothing special. There's nothing about me. Oh, well, there is now. God has chosen you and favored you. But in her mind, why would he say that about me? The girl did not do this. Well, there you are. All along, I've known I was special. I was wondering when you was going to get here. It's about time. Now, what is it about me that, no. This, hers is like, what are you saying? Look at the end of the text. That is the beginning of the text. Look at the end because we're going to finish in the middle. Let this sink in. 
after days to literally digest and think through the ramifications of what Gabriel had said, let this sink in. This girl, she's not unintelligent. She's smart. She can figure it out. Here's what she knows. I'm the most honored woman in the history of the world. The Christ, the Messiah, is being formed inside of me. She gets to Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth verbalizes these facts. She just verbalizes the truth that Mary knows. And Mary's immediate reaction, turn it back to God. Look at verse number 46. And Mary said, can I, again, I'm reading between the lines. I am admitting, I'm adding. The text does not say this, but it's as though Mary says, thank you. But my soul magnifies God. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do y'all feel the humility and the attitude? It's so awesome. This, this is the mindset. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. This girl has it. My soul. She immediately, instinctively, just without even trying, I hear what you're saying. You're not inaccurate. But let's turn it back to God. My soul magnifies him. I rejoice. Please get this point. I rejoice in God. Yes, I rejoice in his blessing and these things are true. But far greater than rejoicing in the blessings of God, I rejoice in God himself. My soul rejoices in God. My Savior. Do you feel the difference? There's two things I just said. God blesses his people with good things to enjoy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He blesses his people with good things to enjoy, to enjoy. And hear me, it's one thing to acknowledge the blessing of God, enjoy it, which you should, and then let it turn your heart to thanksgiving. Lord, I see what you've done. I enjoy it. Thank you for this. This girl did this. You say, Jeff, what do you mean like the blessings of God? Things like this. God gives you an honored position. God lets you experience a delightful, maybe exhilarating experience. It's a blessing. God lets you possess something valuable. A house. A car. God lets your eyes see Beautiful things. Look at that. God. And you pay money to go see beautiful things. And you pay money to taste delicious things. That food is delicious. That drink is delicious. These are blessings from God to enjoy. And hopefully they turn our hearts toward thanksgiving. And then we even pay money to hear exquisite sounds. Oh, there it is. Yes, that's why I paid the money right there. Love that sound. It's a blessing from God. And good relationships. What I want you to understand, Grace View, it is one thing to enjoy and to rejoice and turn the blessings of God into gratitude, but it is a whole other thing to rejoice in God Himself as a person just for who He is and what He is. Just Him. God, I love you for this. This is so great. 
That is such a great thing when His blessings move us to gratitude and praise. But far higher than that and far greater than that is, are these moments. These are the best moments in life when it's like, Lord, thank you for that. But you, you, you said if I've drawn out of you, you'll draw out of me. And all of a sudden it's like, you, Lord, you are the best thing. You're better than your blessings. This girl rejoices in God. Hey, Christian, you were created to be positioned near God. You're created to see God, to taste God, to hear God, to possess God, to be possessed by God, to experience God. I'm telling you, Grace, for you, this is what you long for. You made people all over this room right now, you have no idea. You don't know that you long for this. This is what you crave. This is what you crave. You crave this. You say, I crave feeling great. I'll promise you, what you really crave more than feeling great is a blend of feeling. What you crave is to feel your smallness next to God. Blended with your significance because he chose you and loves you. That's what you crave. You don't even know it. Mary had it. Your last notes in verse number 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God, my Savior. I know what the Catholics have said about Mary. And I'll promise you this, she would be appalled. She would hate it. Because here she makes a confession. In just this phrase, I am just like every other descendant of Adam. I was born in sin. I was bent towards sin. I've committed acts of sin. And I've neglected to do things that were sinful. You know what I need? I need someone to come and save me from the penalty of my sins. And God has met that. And God himself is my Savior. Write this thought down. Mary recognizes that she is the recipient of the grace of God. She is not one who distributes the grace of God. Hail Mary, full of grace. And we pray to you, no. She would be, she'd say, what are you doing? How foolish is that? God is my Savior. I need saved from my sins all the same as you do. This girl drips with humility. This is the kind of person that God blesses. And you see it in verse 38. We saw the beginning. She's really agitated by Gabriel's announcement. You see her natural reaction at the end. In verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Grace, would you listen? I'll be done. This may have been an arranged marriage. I don't know. We don't know. I know there were some of those. Maybe her marriage to Joseph was arranged, but I'm going to assume the following. I'm going to assume she and Joseph loved each other. This is a young bride in a betrothal period. She loves Joseph. But she's just been told by an angel from God what's going to happen, and she's going to concede. And she's not dumb. She's smart. She can realize, if I become pregnant, even if by the Holy Spirit conceiving this child in me, 
Two things are going to happen. My reputation is going to be tarnished. People are going to say nasty things about me. And my relationship with Joseph is probably going to be threatened. I don't know that he's going to have anything to do with me. She doesn't tell him. She goes away immediately without telling anyone. He finds out when she returns. You say, well, they end up getting married. We know that. She doesn't know that. But this girl's attitude is, I may lose him, and they're going to say that about me. But Gabriel, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at the servant of God. Let his will be done in me. God and his will is the highest priority of my life. What, whatever he wants to do in me, so be it. I'm ready to do it. Literally, I mentioned Barkley a while ago. I was ready to throw that book the other day. That guy had so much stupidity and heretical stuff to say. You're like, why'd you keep reading? Because at the end, he finally did make one redeeming comment. He said, this girl changed the commonest prayer. Thy will be changed into a great prayer. Thy will be done. Do you pray this way? God, change your will to my will. Or are you like this girl? God, have your disruptive way in my life. I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do. I may lose him, and I know what they're going to say. But if that's your will for me, I want it to be. Mary, deep settled security. When life gets crazy, remember Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't give in to the chaos and the panic and being overwhelmed. I struggle with that myself. Here's a girl highly favored, but don't think the world's version of, of being favored is automatically God's. God's in it for the long haul. Your eternal good and his glory. And this girl believed. When you read the promises of God, do you believe them as true? Do you put them into your life as fact? Or do you evaluate? And I need some proof and some evidence. And have you ever, Grace, if you come to this point where you've fulfilled what Paul calls for in Romans 12.1, I beg you. You're giving away presents this year. You got some presents you went and bought. And you got somebody's name on it. I beg you, by the mercies of God, give your body as a living sacrifice to God. It's your reasonable service and worship. Would you give yourself to God this Christmas season? God, let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Would you stand? Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning. I thank you for what you've shown me this week from this girl that I've intentionally bypassed through the years. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our church. Let us see the example of her purity, of her security, of her faith, of what your favor can look like. But Lord, let us have her humility and her surrendered spirit of a servant. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Have a great week. Merry Christmas.